Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Have you ever been in a situation where you need to search something on the internet, but it's kind of embarrassing and you don't want people to ever find out what you're searching for? It might be like a medical thing or a personal thing or whatever. I don't know what you're up to. I don't know what you're up to. And you might be thinking to yourself, look, I can just go into incognito mode. But let me tell you something. Incognito mode does not hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browser history. Your internet service provider can see every single website you've ever visited. That's why. Even when I'm at home, I never go online without ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Now, most of the time, I don't even realize I have ExpressVPN on because it runs seamlessly in the background and it's so easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. ExpressVPN is also available on all your devices. We're talking phones, computers, even your smart TV. So there's no excuse for you to not be using it. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Mashable. Visit our exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash weeklyplanet and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash weeklyplanet. Expressvpn.com slash weeklyplanet to learn more. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Hello, everyone. So today I've asked someone to join me I thought people would be very interested in hearing from. His name is Michael Shanks, also known as Tim Tim Fed, the man behind the Wizards of Oz, Time Trap, and someone whose work you've probably already seen on the internet, even if you weren't aware that you have seen it. If you are in the extended audio edition of this, I highly suggest you also check out the video version because there are, of course, clips that highlight the things that we are talking about. That is the beauty of of a visual medium. But if you are interested in film and special effects and how to get something off the ground, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Specifically, though, we talk a lot about his new short film, Rebooted, which is this incredible story that's a blend of stop motion and live action and motion capture. Also, leave a like. Leave a like. It's important. Don't forget to leave a like. Don't forget. Don't forget. I'm Michael Shanks, by the way. Welcome. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Before we get into it, people should also definitely check out that short. Uh, I'll link it below. Go and watch that and then come back to this. It's a bit over 10 minutes. That's right. Is that right? That seems right. Yeah, I think it's about 12. Yeah. And look, what else are we doing these days? (laughs) Exactly. Your channel, though, it's this treasure trove of short films and also insanely complicated jokes in really small packages sometimes. And one of the things that really came to my attention from you a few years ago was the George Lucas version of the Star Wars Force Awakens trailer. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. And I know that's something that you did like five years ago and probably don't think about, but how did you get that turnaround in such a short amount of time? Because that was a huge video and it was like a day and a half and then it was up? 
Yeah, it was about that. It was it was within 48 hours. It was like, um, so the Force Awakens teaser had come out and, you know, I obviously was excited for it because I'm, I'm that guy. Sure. And uh, I was watching it. And then that night I had, um, not to brag, but I had a date with my girlfriend. And <laughs> well, she was, well. uh, she, had, <laughs> she had driven around to my mum's house where I lived to pick me up because I didn't and still don't drive. <laughs> and uh, she'd parked out the front and I was watching the trailer and it had just come out. And I, just, I had this idea of like, oh, crap, I should make like a version of it, which is like the George Lucas special edition, like cover it with like unnecessary and cheesy special effects that just kind of ruin the whole experience like George Lucas does sure yeah so I called Louie and and who was literally out the front I said hey I, I, got, I gotta stay home and make a sketch and she's like cool fine whatever and uh, we're still together now so that's great so your girlfriend's like my wife when you're like listen I have to do this really stupid thing that most people don't understand and she's like yeah of course I know that I know you is that how it works yeah she just went to see like her other boyfriend okay, it was right, totally terrific. Fine. but I, I realized that oh man like I think this is a funny idea. The whole world is watching this trailer at the moment. Like, yeah. not to sound too cynical about it, I thought if I can get this out immediately, then I'll do, it'll 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 really get out there. And so I I did. I just turned it around like super quickly. Just I, I'd become you know all, all the kind of work that I'd done up to that point was was lots of quick turnaround, like heavy visual effectsy stuff. So I really knew my way around how like to edit and remix the footage and and make it kind of silly and funny. So I just got it yeah got that done basically in one night and put it on the internet and it was almost concurrent with the release of the actual trailer and uh, and really helped to get kind of some some eyes on the channel because i guess from that people went back and watched time trap and a bunch of other stuff from your channel i assume well yeah well actually so so time trap is this uh just to contextualize that a little bit mm. it was this uh, short film that i made uh well me and uh, late night films made and uh we'd put in a ton of effort into it it's it's sort of like a seven eight minute long short film but really special effects focused it's like this it's like a castaway story but instead of tom hanks on a deserted island it's an alien on a deserted earth and the only way that they can get off is a little time machine i can't understand also that how you managed to do that on 6k was that is that right is that what you did before added yeah money? yeah yeah that was just six grand that I had saved up. It was sort of like trying to uh, mash up a really old style of filmmaking, kind of like slapstick silent comedy with the most modern form of space J.J. Abrams kind of movie. I, I remember when I was editing it, I had a premiere, I had the timeline of my edit and I had the timeline of clips from Star Trek Into Darkness. Right. And as I was doing the visual effects, I was just kind of switching between the two and like studying how the camera moved in that shot so I could make my uh, CGI camera move for kind of the fully CG shots and just really trying to hold them side by side. And obviously it, it doesn't quite hold up but on a, on a six grand budget of the visual effects done by uh, one person in his mom's basement, it, it, it kind of worked. But but this was a short film that I put a ton of effort into and, and I didn't know when to release it. I was nervous about it because I was like, oh man, I really need people to see this. And this isn't like a lot of other content that I've done, which is, you know, riffing on something that's already in pop culture. This is like a fully unique thing and I really want to get eyeballs on it. Yeah. And it was actually, I released that George Lucas thing and suddenly the Star Wars trailer, suddenly all these eyes were on my channel. And we weren't actually going to release the, the video yet, but I thought, crap, we got to put out Time Trap right now. And so within, you know, 12 hours, I called all the producers and said, okay, cool, I'm going to put it up. That's all fine. Great, let's go. So you were just sitting on it. It was it was ready to go. Yeah, and that was that absolutely wasn't my intention when I made the, the Star Wars thing, but it suddenly just seemed like, well, I'm never going to get an opportunity like this. And that actually it worked out really well. Like it, it really got a lot of eyeballs on it. It went up, I think, to the top of videos on Reddit. And actually it was that video going up that got me uh, representation in the States. It uh, right. Within the week, I was getting, you know, calls from all the people. Uh, they People told me that it's what they call in Hollywood, the film went around the town okay i can imagine a guy in a van just kind of throwing it like delivering <laughs> yeah. newspapers to people shurikening dvds out of people yeah but uh it was, it was like two days after that i got a call from the weinstein company and back then that wasn't really? a bad thing 
yeah, it was like, okay, cool. I mean, that's a, that's a huge deal, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's still a huge deal, but that's that's incredible. It also shows how things have changed since then. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. by the way, I don't bring that up to be like, I'm so cool. I got a call from America. <laughs> but like working in this industry for a while, like I'm, if I'm ever on like a panel or something, people often ask those questions like indie filmmakers, like how do I get rep in the States? And, yes. and everybody's story is different. But like that was my example was putting a short film out, tethering it to something that was sort of a surefire thing to go viral and sure enough it did. I wanted to ask you also about making something like that because you didn't do any kind of formal training at university. You didn't go to film school or special effects school, whatever that's called. No, James, you know so much about me. I know what I'm doing. You do, you, do your own, you do a lot of your own special effects and music and all of those things. Would you say that's the way to go for everybody or do you think that's something specific to you? I, it certainly worked for me. Uh, I think... I'm going to get this quote wrong, but I think it was Jerry Seinfeld was talking about how up-and-coming comedians often asked him, like, how did, how did you get noticed? How did you get discovered? And in the 10 years since he was sort of first discovered, the world had changed in stand-up comedy so much that he might as well have been explaining how to succeed as a juggler or as a plumber because these right. worlds are changing so, so, so quickly. Like, when I started on YouTube, they were, compared to these days, like there weren't that many YouTubers, so... Whenever I'm kind of like asked to give advice, the time has rendered every part of my experience completely relevant. I remember Kevin Smith saying a similar thing, how when somebody gets in one way, that door kind of shuts because then everybody goes for it. That's it. That probably makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, if you're looking at something like more, what was his first film? Was it more? Um, I was clerks. Like what? That's like a black and white, just him and his friends kind of making wry comedic dialogue. That's so much more easily achieved these days because of digital cameras and uh, how you can just self-distribute. But in those days, the fact that he got film in the camera and got it finished is kind of a miracle in and of itself. That Yeah, that that definitely wouldn't uh, raise as many eyebrows as, as it did today. So you're saying no no film school, basically. That's, that's what you're recommending <laughs> or whatever works for you. Would that probably, I don't want to say that because that's probably not what you were saying at all. Well, no, well, well my, uh, my way in was kind of... It was weird because I was uh, I was in my final year of high school, uh, right. year 12, as we call it down here in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had just taken an interest in looking up how to make my own kind of special effects online just via tutorials uh, because I had no dating prospects. <laughs> and uh, it was approaching the end of the year and uh, I was going a lot on a video game website called The Escapist Magazine. Uh, yeah, right. See the aforementioned comment about no dating prospects. <laughs> and they had a film competition and they were like, hey, if you can make a, a, a short film as like a pilot for a series the, the winner will win a contract making uh, that series for us and i'd never made a film before but i was like i was like a theater kid and i was like oh, i reckon i could do this so i yeah, you'd seen film you know yeah exactly I, i'd watched the shrek bonus features <laughs> um <laughs> well actually no i'd watched all the lord of the Rings special features like so many times over so i was really kind of into that world well i've heard a lot of people say that that's their film school right because I've also watched those, yeah. Not that I'm anywhere Incredible. near the level that you are, but they're so insightful. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And just like inspiring. Even if like for what, what they teach you is one thing, but what they inspire you to want to learn is totally something else. Effects like that also, results like that even, they're, they're very achievable now as well with what people can just do at home. Yeah, amazing. And the Lord of the Rings, I was I grew up in New Zealand and it was just such a big thing when that was being produced. I was like the, the right age for that, where it was like the news every night would be like, uh, coming up, we've got the weather, the sport, and then what's happening with Lord of the Rings? <laughs> right, okay. Uh, <laughs> it was it was wild. Yeah, so I was in year 12 and I made this uh, film as an entry to this uh, Escapist magazine 
competition and it, it won the competition. And so I was 17 and I suddenly had this contract saying, make a make this action comedy show because that's what the pilot was. And every two weeks you've got to release an episode. And yeah, so from that, I, I had to make this 25 part action comedy show uh, on, on The Escapist. And you know, we're talking about the kind of the film school thing. I think of that as my film school because I didn't know anybody in the in- industry. Uh, I just had to, it was that year post high school. So I was like, so many of my friends don't have jobs. Like, you're going to come act in it. You're going to hold the camera. You're going to do that. And through that, there were a couple of friends that kind of consistently would be helping out. But otherwise, I had to, I had no option but to learn how to edit, learn how to shoot, learn how oh. to, you know, uh, compose the music, do the sound design, etc. So I was really in the deep end. And, and that worked great for me because I have uh, the sort of mind where I can obsess over things like that. But for other people, that wouldn't work at all. And I certainly missed out on, on lots of experiences by not going to film school. Like, you got a girlfriend, just, uh, it's fine. What, what else do you need? Yeah, exactly. And what a girlfriend. <laughs> uh, by which I mean she's cool because she's... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So have any of those people come along with you? No, n- none of them pursued uh, film or acting or anything like that, except for my friend uh, Nicholas Issel, who uh, we ended, we wrote that series, The Wizards of Oz, together. Oh, you, that's right. You did. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm. and, and you know, he's a great writer and, and, and still pursuing that. And yeah, he was in almost every episode of, of Doomsday Arcade, which was the name of the show on The Escapist. I beg you all to not look it up. <laughs> Well, I certainly won't put any clips of it in this video. Don't you even worry about it. So I wanted to, that kind of brings me around to your new project. I read at one point you decided not to make it a silent project. And it was it had a lot of kind of witty dialogue and you said it didn't kind of really flow. And it was, I, I don't know if you use the word cringe, but it, that's the kind of sense that I got from uh, reading some of your interviews about it. Was that, is that incorrect? The way you started things off? No. No, that's, that's absolutely right. So uh, this is the new short film uh, rebooted, which which ended up being a silent film. But uh, there were so many drafts of the, of the script where it, it wasn't. It was very dialogue heavy and uh, completely always the same premise and, and the same characters. But at one point, it all took place at a funeral. At one point, the main character was a living exhibit in a museum. Right. And it was uh, like it, it kept changing. And, and all the time I was putting in dialogue, I just realized it became very sitcom-y. I was like writing jokes. Therefore, it, it really became verbose and I wanted something to be kind of concise and to the point. And instead, I was constantly having to write in setups for punchlines, et cetera, et cetera. It was on because a lot of the work that I've done online and you can see on the YouTube channel, Tim Tim Fed, actually has no dialogue in it. And one of the great things about that is it allows it to kind of travel uh, and that people from all over the world can actually watch that content and relate to it without needing subtitles or, or, or uh, replace dialogue, et cetera. Yeah. Everyone understands a man you know, playing tennis with a tank, you know what I mean? That's, that's universal. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. <laughs> well, hopefully. But, um, <laughs> but there wasn't really a reason I was avoiding dialogue in the past other than I just love visual storytelling and that's very much kind of uh, my directorial style. I was always trying to ape kind of Pixar films and Edgar Wright films and silent films, uh, that sort of thing. Right. And I, I don't know why it actually took my friend Laura, who's a, who's a playwright, to, to be reading. She was reading my draft of Rebooted and just kind of said, why isn't this silent? Your work's like, you know, always silent. And, I, and it kind of opened this world up to me and I stripped all the dialogue out and I, I, I think it was the best creative decision I made on this project because, um, or rather Laura made by suggesting it, it really endears you to the character. It makes you, I think, much more empathetic to, to this sort of world. And uh, and there was no need to have these kind of creatures speak. I, I love the uh, challenge of working without dialogue. What was it something like you had 16 kind of 
faces you could put on the skeleton was that is that the idea and you got so much emotion out of that yeah well well, that's really on the animator samuel lewis who gave him so much emotion with uh, as you said uh, 13 facial expressions all we could change were his eyebrows and he had 13 different sets of eyebrows yeah he uh, he really came to life sam was incredible and because this is such a special effects heavy project that must have been really challenging because i know the wizards of oz starts off in this huge epic kind of medieval fantasy setting and then you shift things to melbourne and i understand that was somewhat budget related also because you can kind of tone things down a little bit at points but this is all uh, he's in almost every shot right with this new one yeah mm. basically every single shot yeah it was it was a huge project to, to pull together and, and massive kudos to my producers at late night films for, for making it all work from a budgetary point of view but i mean like everything we've everything i've ever done has always been really special effects heavy partially that's because i just love genre stuff and partially stupidly it's because i love doing special effects like I, I love um just like kind of sitting at my computer and and sort of I like kind of think of uh, doing like comps as sort of like playing a puzzle video game it, it's really right. stupid but you, you you have a set of tools and you know where you need to end up and it's like how do I use these tools to get to that destination it's like a super nerdy portal level well to actually to to give the kind of synopsis of it the, the, the quick pitch yeah it's uh so I probably should have done all of this up top. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no stress. Um, so, uh, well, now that now I'm going to PR mode and I can go. <clears throat> uh, Rebooted tells the story of Phil, a stop motion animated skeleton from Hollywood's golden era who can no longer find work in modern Hollywood due to being an out of date visual effect. Was that uh, was that off the top of your head then? That was, but I've done that a lot. Incredible. <laughs> oh, man. I remember doing uh, the the uh, PR for Wizards. It was just, I, I became like an automaton, just reciting the same things over and over again. I always feel bad uh, for those celebrities in interviews and directors where they sit in a chair and they've clearly just been there three days straight and people come in and go, what was it like to work with whoever? And what was it like living oh, wow, in wherever? so great. Yeah, they're yeah. fantastic. <laughs> they never say, you know what? He fucking sucked. Yeah, he bad. was like the worst dude. What I was also really interested in about this project is I can't imagine there was a lot of wiggle room to cut things or it would have been difficult to because there was so special effects heavy. Was it something like six months of stop motion to get everything going? How hard mm. was it to trim down a scene to be like, oh, that doesn't quite flow if I, maybe if I cut it here. Maybe you're cutting off 10 well, seconds, but then that's weeks of work the way that i direct which is the same of other some other directors and and different to others is that uh wow what a profound statement michael is that i I know a lot of directors who kind of will storyboard or maybe they won't storyboard but if they do they'll just kind of go okay close up of him close up of her wide shot cool and we'll get the coverage i really fastidiously storyboard everything before i shoot it to the point where every single one of my projects you can kind of i've got like a almost like crappy comic book of the whole thing even if um we're going back to a shot from two shots ago that we've already seen. I'll, I'll redraw the board because I really want to look at it all and realize that visually it stays interesting and fresh. I really dislike the idea of coverage, which essentially means like you get everybody in a close-up, you get a wide, and then you kind of make the film and the edit. Like I, I really want to edit the film before we actually get on set. So when it comes to kind of cutting and trimming, I, I really don't cut and trim very much at all because I've already done that work in the storyboard. And when it comes to uh, the animation style of things, because our main character is stop motion animated despite it being a live action film. And stop motion animation is so difficult and so time consuming and we had such little budget, we couldn't afford to pay our animator for a day longer than than we needed. Right, okay, yeah. So the way we we did that was we shot every shot in the film uh, at least twice. 
And in one of those takes, I, I performed as the skeleton character. Yes. But what that allowed us to do is before we, we even started the animation, we had a full edit of the movie from A to B, uh, from, from front to back, from start to finish. I'm going to keep saying that, uh, <laughs> of, of me performing so we could make all the trims there so we never animated anything we weren't going to use. Because it would have been heartbreaking to animate an amazing piece of animation and then go, actually, that scene doesn't work, cut it, and then it descends out nowhere. So we just did the whole thing with me and then gradually, shot by shot, I was replaced by a skeleton. And it was kind of like watching a time lapse of my eventual fate in real time. <laughs> it was great. I, I couldn't believe some of the, uh, the stop motion stuff. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When picking a commerce platform for your business, you got two choices. Oh, this piece of mother... Or sales. I definitely prefer, don't you? Because that's a sound you'll hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that's supercharging your selling wherever you sell, online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling your business's complexity no matter how big you grow. Step up to Shopify and harness the best converting checkout and the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. For example, Ruggable, Nix, Magnolia, Cotton, and so many more. Now you're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache. The Shopify app store has the migration apps that you need to migrate your products, orders, customers, and more from every e-commerce platform to Shopify. And maybe you're one of those people who are like, hey, don't put me in a box. I don't want to be in this box, either metaphorically or for real. Thankfully, Shopify never will, because with Shopify, you can control your brand and business from your storefront look to your back office operations. You know what's really annoying when you're checking out from an online store and you have to put in all your payment details and all sorts of numbers and letters and whatnot? Well, with the Shopify store, they actually remember my shipping address or your shipping address if you were using yours, plus the payment information. So say if I'm on the couch and my wallet is in the kitchen, I didn't even have to get up, which is my favorite thing. Stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow and run their business. So sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash weekly planet or lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash weekly planet. Shopify.com slash weekly planet. Cha-ching sound effect. You've probably heard this or maybe you've even experienced it. A business gets to a certain size and then the cracks start to emerge. Things that used to take like a day and now taking a week. There's too many manual processes just grinding away and you don't have that one source of truth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,025, 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 
NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and a whole lot more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. 1. Because your business is one of a kind, so you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. NetSuite allows you to have the power of all the information in one place to help you make more effective decisions as quickly as possible so you can keep moving, keep building, keep growing, or have more time off, whatever it is that you're looking to do. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash weeklyplanet. That's netsuite.com slash weeklyplanet to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash weeklyplanet. Have you ever been in a situation where you need to search something on the internet, but it's kind of embarrassing and you don't want people to ever find out what you're searching for? It might be like a medical thing or a personal thing or whatever. I don't know what you're up to. I don't know what you're up to. And you might be thinking to yourself, look, I can just go into incognito mode. But let me tell you something. Incognito mode does not hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browser history. Your internet service provider can see every single website you've ever visited. That's why. Even when I'm at home, I never go online without ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Now, most of the time, I don't even realize I have ExpressVPN on because it runs seamlessly in the background and it's so easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. ExpressVPN is also available on all your devices. We're talking phones, computers, even your smart TV. So there's no excuse for you to not be using it. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Mashable. Visit our exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash weeklyplanet and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash weeklyplanet. expressvpn.com slash weeklyplanet to learn more. Stuff that you did, including when the skeleton melts. You animated it two different times and one of them was with different lighting exposures so you got that kind of effect. I mean, things like yeah. that, where does that come from? Is that you or is that your animator? How, does that, how did that come up? That was, that was sort of Sam's idea. Well, our animation team was actually two people. We had Samuel Lewis, who was our stop-motion animator, and we had Gerald Thompson, who was our stop-motion cinematographer. Right. And what we had at that time is our, uh, somebody from Late Night Films, Kevin Look, uh, was taking all this data and measuring the distance between the light and where I was standing and the light and the camera and the angle that the camera was pointed at and all this technical data and all these photos. So then when we came to animation, our stop-motion cinematographer, Gerald Thompson, would rebuild basically the lighting setups, but in miniature. So uh, if we had a light here, here, and here up in our big shoot, he'd make put lights here, here, and here on our kind of teeny tiny little shoot. I saw that spreadsheet where that was all mapped out on, and that that's an incredibly laborious process, I'd imagine. Oh, but yeah. The result, I mean, it just looks in camera. I mean, I think if you didn't know, you'd just assume that it was just a very 
good-looking CGI skeleton. Yeah, that's, that's so great to hear. Like, thank you. Like, so, and I can't take any credit for it. Like, it, it's all Gerald and Sam. They they did an, an, an astonishing job. And uh, well, going back to that uh, skeleton, uh, the, the the melting shot. Yeah, we have a scene where where Phil uh, melts, and so the silicon of his puppet melts off his uh, metal armature frame. Yeah, uh, and then that was an I that was you know something in the script, and I storyboarded it up as so I thought, oh, that's a really cool idea. I don't know how we're going to do it, and we actually thought uh, Sam thought he would build a meltable version of him and would use a heat gun and sort of like Indiana Jones face it. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And there's one shot where we actually did that. There's a shot right just preceding that shot where it's a close up of his hand and his hand. Yes. Yeah. Normally on the Phil puppet, the hands like, I don't know, a couple of centimeters big, but uh, Sam built a sort of uh, 20 centimeter long hand that was out of a meltable plasticine. Oh, right. And he used a heat gun to blah, 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 blah. That's how you managed to get the detail on that. I guess that would be incredibly hard to film on such a tiny hand, I guess. Yeah. It was just fumes of plenty in our very unventilated (laughs) office. And Sam was like, maybe going to die. Let's reassess (laughs) this. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about relinquishing control on something like this because i know with wizards of oz you're in it you're doing the special effects you're doing the music you know you're storyboarding it all i also notice how your storyboards kind of they start really magnificent and then by then you just like <laughs> stick people or whatever which is yeah, in- yeah. incredible to me that oh, the, the detail you put into those is phenomenal how hard is it to relinquish control or is it nice to have a team like that where you can go i'm not good at stop motion animation like they are is it nice to be able to go can you do a better version of this yeah, but that was that was amazing. I, we had early on discussions of like, oh, could I just learn how to do stop motion animation? Just literally animate over my performance, and using that, I'll just become really good at it. And every animator I spoke to was like, "You're an idiot. That's never going to work." <laughs> and 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 they were right. You're gonna be, you'll be doing it for the rest of your life, basically. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then the results will be very bad. But um, relinquishing control is is I'll I'll gladly. F- fess up as as actually like a big problem I have when it comes to working, particularly when like moving on to direct some stuff, you know, it's more like traditional, like working on like a network show or something like that, that that when I've done little bits and bobs of that, because I'm so used to the indie gorilla realm because all I know, that's actually something you lose from film school. You're really ready to be part of it. You're taught to be part of a team and to lean on other people. But the way I came up was if I don't do it, it doesn't get done. And so I struggle with that. Like something like stop motion animation, I was, I was never going to do that well. So giving that up to Sam, yeah, absolutely fine. But I compose all my own scores and uh, there's definitely other composers out there that would do a better job than me. But because I can also kind of do it, I'm like, well, I'll just do it then because I don't trust them. But that's that's a terrible skill because, you know, part of directing is delegating and being able to communicate to people what your vision is and having trust uh, in their ability to interpret it. Absolutely. And what they usually do is better than what you can do. <laughs> and they come up <laughs> with ideas. Like everybody on set is an incredibly creative person. And, uh, and you should always, I mean, here's my take is you should always be really open to listening to every person on, on the crew. Because yeah, they'll absolutely. have often better ideas than you. I mean, I guess it's so important to build that kind of essential team around you because the team of editors that I work with, they're all great and they're all better editors than me. And that's kind of the idea that you want somebody for me who can not only complement what I do, but enhance it to make it you know much better than anything I could ever produce. But also, I used to be a primary school teacher before. I do whatever the fuck this is. And <laughs> I also found working in teams, when you're working with people who you think I could probably do a better job of this or at least a job you feel yourself kind of taking it on to kind of lessen the burden of other people as well, which is probably not a good idea, I'd imagine. Well, yeah. And also like when you really enjoy doing every aspect of it, then it's just like, oh, you're taking my fun away. I love <laughs> right, composing. Yeah. I, don't, why do you get to do that? That's, that's no fun. 
Is that why you're like, look, I'm going to be Phil. I'm going to be Phil on set. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Well, and also then, like, with something like that, we very, very rarely have enough budget for what we're trying to do. So we're always kind of fighting against the small budgets that we have. And that usually comes down to time on set. The more time on set, exponentially, the more money you're going to spend. And the idea of just having to communicate what I want to do to an actor whose performance is only going to be covered by an animation is just like, well, that's just going to slow us down. So I'll just do it. And then I don't (laughs) need to check, you know, then as an actor, I don't need to check with the director if they're happy. And as a director, I don't need to mold the actor's performance to where I'm happy because I can just be unhappy with my performance and live with that because it's my fault. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's also the same with when you're doing things like music. You can also (laughs) tweak it on the fly. You're like, I'm not really happy with this. Instead of, you know, you ring it around and you kind of sit down with the person and explain you can just be like, I'll just tweak this just now. It'll take like five minutes as opposed to oh, yeah. doing this whole thing. I, I think I, I worked on a little thing uh, earlier in the year. It's kind of, I guess you'd call it like a pilot for Princess Pictures. And uh, we worked with another composer on it, uh, a guy named Brendan Caulfield. And he was so amazing. He, he like completely nailed the vibe I was hoping for and made it way better than I would have done. But then I, I realized that in my feedback to him, I was so like desperately trying to be like, you know, I know how to play music too. <laughs> and my notes were like so didactic and just so douchey, you know, like a like an insecure kid trying to be like, yo, beer, yeah, I love beer. It's so cool. <laughs> that's although I, I think that's I think that's very endearing. I bet he was very impressed. I'm sure he didn't interpret it that way at all. Uh, he's he's such a nice man. I'm sure he probably was, but I would have been in his shoes. Like what a douchebag. Shut yeah, up. This Let me do my job. Guy, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to kind of wrap things up, I wanted to ask you a bit about funding because you've mentioned that a lot Absolutely. of these projects are relatively uh, low budget, starting with Time Trap, obviously, but then going through Screen Australia, you're afforded a bit more of a budget, which you can kind of expand things out a little. How do you go about kind of getting money for these projects in general? In a, in a nutshell, I mean, I've been I've been really fortunate to have a couple of things funded from Screen Australia. But uh, to the first thing I got funded from Screen Australia was Wizards of Oz, and uh, the way that actually came about was Screen Australia approached me, which was amazing. I'd released Time Trap and a, and a bunch of stuff online, and Screen Australia actually just kind of got in touch and said, hey, we've seen your work. We think you'd be a good candidate to get some sort of uh, web series funding if you want to come in and talk. And and, and I came in and, and talked with them and they said, do you have any ideas? And I sort of had this wizard show, this kind of wizard comedy uh, in mind. And, and from that, I contacted Nick Issel and said, hey, do you want to write the show together? And so we did that and uh, we were fortunate enough to get funding. But even from that point, when we submitted the scripts, they, or even just the ideas, I said, you can't do this for this budget. Like we can, the most amount of money that we're funding at that point was $350,000 Australian. So for any non-Australian listeners, that's like, Five bucks American. No, yes, no, that's like yeah. that's like two eighty American. I, I'd say, but but I and I was like, that's the most money anybody's ever had. Look at time travel. We made that for six thousand dollars, and it looks great. However, here's the issue: when nobody's getting paid, you don't have to pay anybody because there's no money and nobody's getting paid. But as yeah. soon as you get the budget from the government, you have to pay and. Thankfully, you have to pay, so nobody's getting exploited. Everybody, uh, union rates, which right. is obviously fantastic. But suddenly, you know, our cast in Wizards is over 40 people. And just that alone was like almost the budget. Like we were like, oh, crap, what are we going to do? My understanding is that you didn't take any money for that in the end. Was that the idea? Yeah. So I, I directed the show. I uh, edited and did the visual effects with my producer, Chris. And I, I co-wrote the show. And I was the lead actor in the show. And I composed all the music. And I took, uh, I think I took my writer's fee and burnt the rest. 
because the only people that were we were allowed to not pay were essentially the people in charge. So it was me and uh, Chris Hocking, uh, the producer of the show. We one of the producers of the show. We did the visual effects together. We did 36 weeks of unpaid full-time visual effects work on it. So I actually moved back into my mum's house. And uh, I was about to say, how do you fund something like that? How do you live? I guess you, you didn't pay rent yeah. at that time. I guess that's the answer to that, I guess. Yeah, it, and it's, you don't it's drive, totally so. un- <laughs> exactly. It, it's totally untenable uh, un- yeah. unless you're, you know, as, as fortunate as, as I was to have like a mum with a, with a spare room who was like happy to be annoyed by me for basically a year. And yeah. I didn't take any weekends off. Like it was, it was honestly, and intense. So actually, no, that's true. I took one weekend for my brother's wedding and then half a weekend for my sister's wedding because it was second. So I was like, oh, I'm over weddings yeah, now. I was going to say, yeah, that, that just, that's how that works. What, what does she want, yeah, really? No offense, Carrie. So so that's kind of how, how that funding thing worked. Uh, well, I suppose to talk broadly about funding, uh, we actually chatted about this a little bit before we started rolling, but I have started doing some assessment for Screen Australia and the way that uh, some of the online funding works, at least, I'm not sure about some of the other stuff. They get so many submissions that they have external assessors, which are people they've worked with before and that they know, kind of understand uh, both the creative and the uh, producerial roles of, of funding. Uh, and, and they get two external assessors to assess a project as well as somebody in-house at Screen Australia to assess the same project. And and they kind of, you know, uh, capitulate those results to figure out whether or not to, to fund it or not. And it's fascinating being on the other side of it. And, and the, the main criteria that, that I'm sort of concerned with is that I, when I'm looking at it, like I, I just want an interesting idea. I want to. I want to see something that I've never seen before. I, I. You read a lot of applications that are largely dealing with really similar premises and really similar settings. What does that come down to? A lot of stuff set in an apartment, and there's a shot from inside a fridge when somebody opens their fridge. Is it that kind of stuff? What are we? Yeah. If if I get a housemate comedy, I'm not against it, but I'm like. I want to know why this is better than the other nine house. I was going to say, yeah, it, it better be the best comedy in the world. You're looking for something else, uh, something un, un, unusual, a bit left of center, I guess. Or you in particular, because oh, well, yeah. there's obviously other people that are involved. Well, yeah, I suppose, I suppose everybody brings a little bias to them, and I and and I absolutely try not to. But everybody brings a bias to everything, and I suppose maybe my bias is I'm looking for. I, I do enjoy you know genre content, and I enjoy stuff that really makes me go, oh, that's weird. But also, it comes down to sometimes you get work just submitted by people who have a great track record and that's one of the other criteria but you don't have to have had a great track record before if the idea is really good so um yeah i actually think like putting together a, a, a submission is is not as much paperwork as, as it might seem so it's not really that scary and uh screen really has money and they have to give it to somebody and, and you know they, they really want to so if, if any assessor gets a, a project that they really think is interesting and great like yeah we'll, we'll be like absolutely let's let's try our best to make this make this happen my understanding is it's a very positive environment and they are there to help you along the way they're not trying to kind of step on your dreams and kind of mush it into something that it isn't no absolutely i mean from from what i understand like if screen australia doesn't give away money <laughs> <laughs> they're, no. they're, they could, they're not doing their job. Like they sort of have to. Well, speaking of development, I guess we'll end on this. And I feel like this is kind of a, a difficult question to ask a person, especially when you've just wrapped up this massive project. What do, what do you what do you do next? Do you take a break, or are you straight into the next thing? There's obviously there's a bit of a forced break at the moment, but are your wheels kind of turning on the next project? What what's the idea there? Well, obviously, rebooted the short films just released, and that's actually the first piece of YouTube content I've put up in over three years. Um, which is something is I true? used to do a lot just, more. That's true, yeah. So I've got that up. Yeah, it is too. I didn't even realize that, yeah. That's because like, um, I, you know, I always wanted to kind of work longer for me stuff. I never wanted to be sort of a youtube guy. And uh, this this might seem kind of weird, but after Wizards, I kind of thought, well, I, I think I'm kind of done with YouTube. Like I sort of did everything I wanted to do on this platform. 
Yeah. Like I, I, I've had way more success on it than I ever thought would happen. I'm like, cool, now I want to move into kind of uh, some other stuff. But um, then rebooted kind of came up and I thought, oh, okay, cool. I, I love this idea. I want to make sure it gets... And then the, the, the strand of funding was online. Uh, yes. that, the, the short film was actually funded by Screen Australia and YouTube as part of a Skip Ahead initiative. So it was oh, very right. kind of YouTube-based. Uh, so now I, I actually... Well, I have a lot of work that I never released because I did some for a comedy channel show and uh, some sketches that... I've sort of been sitting on because they're not that good. But now <laughs> sure. that I've released uh, Reboot it, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just like, release a bunch of old work. But moving ahead, I, it's it's really hopefully to move on into the, the feature uh, space. I'm, I'm writing a feature film for a studio at the moment, and there's a couple of others that are, that have been written, and we're just, you know, like every asshole in the industry, like, yeah, we're just kind of figuring out funding. But, yeah, figuring out funding, and, and hopefully yeah. that can uh, that can go somewhere. There's a fun little horror film and a fun little thing. Yeah. Are those international? Uh, yeah, international. Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 a, that's the vibe. So, I mean, you'll, you'll be moving over to LA at some point, I'd imagine, or doing that kind of oh, thing? Hopefully, hopefully not. It's, it's been suggested, but just honestly, I, I like love living where I live. I, I've, yeah. <laughs> not to brag, I, have a, I just have a great group of friends and a family, and I like being here. I like the idea of going over for, for projects and stuff. But, for example, uh, there's, a, there's a film that I've written uh, that's like a horror film, and I, I wrote it being kind of local. But, you know, the, the sort of producers that we've got at the moment are like, if the leads aren't Australian, we can raise more money for it. Right. So okay. Yeah. It, it's that kind of a thing where we're, we're like, oh, okay. Well, if we attach American cast, we could still shoot it over here because there's tax incentives. This sounds really cynical, but it's like, oh, there's tax incentives no, to shoot stuff over here. But I mean, you look at like the Invisible Man. You look at like Thor Ragnarok and those kinds of things. It's not uncommon. It happens all the time. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. And and the the Invisible Man's actually like, there's no reason that film couldn't have been Australian, except for the fact that it never would have gotten the financing that it got yes. from overseas in order to exist if it was starring David Wenham and. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to sully an actress's name by look. You've already sullied like, David Wenham. I think that. No, but I love David Wenham. <laughs> I know um, too. Yeah. <laughs> but how amazing though that that film could come out and be the number one film in the world, and it was shot in Sydney, uh, made by an Australian crew, Australian writer and director. Like that's the sort of shit uh, that I think is awesome. And if we can't Michael raise Wenham. those budgets with Australian accented cast, because you can still do it with kind of Australian cast doing other accents, well Definitely. then, you know, at least keep chipping away at that until we can get to the place where we're not embarrassed by our film releases i think it's also uh what, what was i gonna say sorry <laughs> long day um a long day long life yeah, long, i know right it's going forever <laughs> oh that's that's right i think also a lot of studios seem to be missing the idea that you can make a movie for 10 20 million dollars and it can make 60 and that's more than enough for what you're doing not everything needs to be 150 million dollars you know what i mean yeah absolutely i mean i'm, I'm chasing a <laughs> I'm chasing 4.6. If anyone wants to give me 4.6 million, I'll make you a damn good movie. <laughs> that's not a bad idea. All right, I think that's uh, pretty much everything. But you are Tim Tim Fed on all platforms. Is that the idea? Uh, yes, that's correct. So, look, obviously, uh, people probably would have already checked out the short when I said up top. Definitely go and check it out. But if you haven't, please do. And just go through the YouTube channel because there is a bunch of just hilarious and strange stuff. Just just hiding away in there that I just think people will really, really enjoy. And like you said, it's kind of translates universally. So I think there's anything you click on, I think you're, you're in for a pretty pretty good time, I reckon. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, James, for having me. It's been fun. Anytime. Uh, sorry, that sounded mean. Anytime. No, that's fine. <laughs> and we've got nothing else to do, right? You know, we Absolutely, could, we could yeah. play some uh, online games or something. Yeah, why not? It's, yeah, okay, why let's not? do it. Oh, Minesweeper, here we go. <laughs> All right, cheers, mate. All right, thanks, mate, cheers. Thanks, everyone, for watching and or listening to this. Don't forget there is the video edition, which is linked below. And just get stay safe and just be cool. Just be as cool as you can, just like Michael Shanks. All right, see you later.
This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.